Surging debt is costing South Africa billions in interest. Burdened taxpayers are grappling with inflationary pressures, high interest rates and the high cost of living, while runaway government spending is straining the public purse. And for the fiscal, the shortfall is at an all-time high. Finance Minister Enoch Gordongwane is faced with three options to raise money for the burgeoning budget deficit. Borrow more, raise taxes or cut expenditure. Which path is he going to choose in his budget speech on the 21st of February? I'm Jeremy Maggs. This is No Ordinary Wednesday. It's the podcast that offers an in-depth look at what's driving markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. And joining me today to help understand how the minister might tackle the country's financial problems, a panel of investec experts, including Chief Economist Annabel Bishop, Treasury Economist of Corporate and Institutional Banking, Tersha Jacobs, and Wealth and Investment Tax and Fiduciary Specialist, Pierre Bourg. To all of you, a very warm welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday. Annabel Bishop, let's start the discussion with a focus on the state of the economy and its impact on the budget, particularly on potential government revenue. Now, let me put to you that the country is already starting the year on the back foot. Uh, The IMF revising our growth expectations downwards uh, from 2% to 1%. Let's start there. What's the growth outlook in your opinion? Yes. Hi, Jeremy. Look, I think, you know, that is a very rational decision. The IMF obviously was a bit on the back foot. We've had 1% for quite a while now. And And of course, you know, the problems in South Africa, as we all know, range from infrastructure with freight, rail and ports, and of course, also as well, load shedding, right through to restrictive government regulatory policies. And obviously, we also have issues in terms of the corruption, crime front, all of these factors obviously being addressed by the South African government in its partnership with the private business sector. And let's remember that last year was a poor year for South Africa's economy, not just the worst level of load shedding ever consistently throughout the year. And of course, very high congestion at the ports, deterioration real capacity. But globally, we had weak commodity prices. And weak commodity prices really just feed through into poor government revenues, along with the other infrastructure constraints that I talked about. And revenues are very, very weak. We saw all of that in the medium-term budget policy statement, our mini-budget update that we had on the 1st of November. Now, in February, we get another update on the budget. But I don't think things are going to have changed very much. I don't think we're going to see an improvement in terms of, oh, we actually collected a bit more revenue than we thought we would, because the monthly government cystic figures are just not showing that. They're showing we continue to overspend compared to a year ago. We continue to undercollect in terms of revenue because there's just nothing to collect because of the weak economy and obviously the weak international environment we went through, our capacity constraints. But most of all, the result of all of this means we have increased our borrowings or specifically our projected borrowings. And that's what we saw in November last year. So government is planning to borrow more to plug the gap in terms of the mismatch between revenue and expenditure. And I think we're going to see the same figures when they are presented now in February to what we had in the MTBPS. Often between government finance announcements at the budget or mini budget, we see quite big revisions. This time around, it's very unlikely. So you talk about weaker economic growth on the cards, obviously an impact on the country's finances. The concern here is revenue. The concern is revenue, but, you know, there's also concerns around expenditure, wasteful expenditure, inefficient expenditure, 
money being spent on programs and projects that just don't yield anything. And of course, government's looking at that very closely. But also, of course, as well, money spent on social welfare and particularly the huge amount of money, the largest proportion really that's spent on increases in salary and wages in South Africa. And of course, that's above inflation, salary and wage increases. All of those put pressure on current expenditure. Why is that a problem? Because obviously current expenditure tends not to yield very much in terms of economic growth. And in turn, spending on infrastructure, which is where government has severely fallen down, spending effectively on infrastructure, such as obviously electricity, uh, the rails, the, the ports, all of that would have given us a much greater potential for economic growth. In fact, the private sector can run much stronger and much harder. We could have economic growth of 3 or 4% in South Africa if we did not have the problems we have in terms of electricity load shedding. That's insufficient amount of electricity compared to what's demanded. And the same thing for the rails and the ports. People cannot get their goods out of South Africa, bulk commodity exports, to the degree that they want to, which means that you cut back on the production in the mines, you cut back on production across the economy, and you just weaken economic growth. And this is the real problem that we actually have in South Africa. Yes, there's a revenue issue. And yes, you know, sometimes governments do push up taxes to obviously bring in more on that front. It's highly unlikely in election year. But also, of course, as well, the economy is very, very constrained. We've been through several years now of real falls in salary and wages. What that really means is that your salary and wage increases this year are not at the same pace and every year compared to inflation. So if inflation is running at 6% and salary and wage increases are at 4.5%, the net result means that you can buy less with your take-home pay. And if we look at the bank serve data, this has been carrying on since 2020. So that really has obviously weakened economic growth as well. And also, interestingly enough, added to less of a tax take. And Annabel, I'm assuming all of the above then presents some friction between fiscal and monetary policy. So interestingly, when we look at fiscal policy, which is obviously, as we've been talking about now, government finances, expenditure, revenue collection, taxation, and of course, as well, monetary policy. And of course, there we think about interest rates, inflation rates, and you know, really what the South African Reserve Bank is doing to try and keep the value of money, preserve the value of money. So in South Africa, we've obviously come through a period of higher interest rates, and that's really been since 2020, lows of 3.5% for the repo rate. That's climbed. We're now at an eight and a quarter percent repo rate. So, you know, we've had quite substantial interest rate hikes. Let, 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 let's not, you know, think that they have not been quite hard and quite sharp, perhaps not as much sometimes in our history, but globally as well, there's been a hard, sharp interest rate hike cycle. And that's added to weak global growth and weaker South African growth in turn as well. Fiscal policy, however, has actually been expansionary. You know, fiscal policy has actually seen continued expenditure, more expenditure, expenditure that has not cut its cloth to fit really what the environment actually is. We've seen revenue fall back and instead of pulling back at the same degree on expenditure, government has borrowed more, has spent that money, which in turn has seen expansionary fiscal policy. So you look at the two together and that means that monetary policy has had to be more restrictive, it's had to be tighter, we've had to have more interest rate hikes than we would have had otherwise if we hadn't had such expansionary fiscal policy. Do you think the ratings agencies are going to cut us any more slack? So I think the credit rating agencies feel that where the projections are now is really appropriate 
or roughly appropriate for our credit ratings. In other words, the commentary we've had since the MTBPS last year in November to date has really indicated from the, from the, our three key credit rating agencies that they're probably unlikely to downgrade us. It doesn't mean that they won't downgrade us if we did actually get a big revision in the government finance figures. But again, we're not expecting that. The monthly statistics that are coming through are poor. They really do indicate that we're likely to continue to see this large borrowing trajectory outlook. And in fact, Jeremy, you know, we haven't actually talked about it, but really, if we just actually have a look at it, you know, we in the November MTBPS saw that the gross loan debt is projected to peak at 77.7% of GDP in 2025-26, and that's much higher than the 736 for the same year. You might say, mm, seems a bit close. The real point is that taking this out to 2030 in the February projections of last year's budget, the debt was expected to fall back below 70% and move towards the 60% mark. And that's by, you know, the end of this decade, 2030-31. Now, however, unfortunately, debt is going to remain above 70%. And why does this matter? Because obviously the sustainable ratio for emerging markets for their debt is around 60%. So government has moved back very sharply from fiscal consolidation. And that also comes through in the government finance figures as well. And this, this is really the crux here. You spoke about wasteful and inefficient expenditure. Where should the minister then be aiming his axe in terms of chopping things? So I think, you know, the difficulty, and, and this is what the National Treasury does tend to communicate quite often, is that the government finance expenditure plans are actually baked in over the medium-term expenditure framework over the next three years. It's quite difficult to cut and change and chop. In fact, actually, you do tend to get a lump sum expenditure allocated to different departments. Obviously, there can be allocations inside departments and areas as well. But the point we're trying to make is that it's actually rather up to the ministers, the departments themselves to actually look at what areas are wasteful and inefficient. And that's the problem we actually have here. The best way to think about, you know, the finance department and national treasury is that they bring the money in through SARS, which is also obviously part of this whole operation. And then they give the money out to the allocations that obviously have been predetermined to all the different areas. So, you know, the, the president and obviously work done by the presidency is looking at different areas in the departments and obviously different ministerial areas to say, where can we cut back? Where can we combine? Where can we combine ministries and departments? And that's something that's instead being done by the presidency. We, t we heard quite a lot of talk about it last year. So sadly, you know, National Treasury can't do very much on that front. And just a final one, Annabel, that axe that I referred to before we start using it on ourselves. Um, are there any silver linings here? Absolutely. So, you know, we obviously are seeing a foster global economic growth year this year. In fact, while the IMF has realistically cut back its forecasts towards ours of 1% this year, it actually hasn't cut back on its global growth forecast. It's actually seeing stronger global growth this year than was previously anticipated. Those who worried about recession either in the US or globally are pulling back on their expectations now as well, both for last year and this year. The good news, obviously, is that for South Africa, we're also going into an interest rate cut cycle this year. And that will obviously provide a bit of positivity. Very importantly, inflation is likely to come down quite substantially. And of course, you know, that's very meaningful for South Africans. That's the rate of change in prices from one year to the next. So, of course, you know, this, this is obviously very important as well for the economic outlook. But let's obviously look at the infrastructure front as well. And we do expect to see a lot more renewable energy capacity come online. 
online, certainly over the next five-year period, which will help to reduce the real difficulty we've experienced around load shedding and also, you know, the plans to obviously reduce the congestion and the port issues as well. So all of these factors do give us a brighter outlook. And of course, as well, you know, we obviously are very dependent on the global economy, but things are certainly looking brighter there as well. Annabelle Bishop, I'm as always going to thank you for the insight. We are going to continue this conversation in just a moment with Treasury economist Tertia Jacobs, who will crunch the numbers for us on government's balance sheet. But first, I would like to remind you that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Please don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the channel, please take a moment to rate us. So, Tosha, a very warm welcome to you to uh, No Ordinary Wednesday. So, Annabelle has laid out the economic situation and the impact on government finances. I want to focus now on the balance sheet, which I think is general consensus. It's looking pretty dire. So, ahead of the budget then, what would be the big issues that you'd be looking out for? Hi. Hello, Jeremy. Yes, there's certainly going to be quite a few focus points for us in the context of rising government debt and very weak economic growth. So these will could be a couple of important announcements, although they may not all be quantifiable yet, but they're going to feed in potentially into investor sentiment, you know, and that is playing out in a very high country risk premium. So the first issue will be, you know, more insight into the reconfiguration of government in the context of expenditure. You know, there's likely to be an overrun in expenditure again. Um, government is trying to control the wage bill, but the personnel costs just continue to increase. So that remains a big issue. So there's a lot of overlap in the various departments. And the president indicated in SONA 20. 223 that that could be implemented after the general election. So we'll hear what the ministry is going to say about that. The second issue is going to be in the context of rising government debt, if a new fiscal anchor could be announced. Now, since 2012, we've had an expenditure ceiling, but government has been unable to keep to it because of the consistent bailouts to SOEs and the personnel wage bill that continued to rise quite sharply until 2018. So we need something to anchor the debt levels, and that can perhaps provide more credibility to the the government finances. The third issue we're going to look at is the infrastructure financing and PPPs. Now, this becomes all the more important when we consider what's happening at Transnet, where the liquidity position is poor. In December, the banks extended a government-guaranteed loan facility to Transnet to help alleviate liquidity pressure in 2024. Then there's also a roughly 100 billion rand needed for core fixed investment of some of the corridors, and that's developing in the context of the roadmap. The fact that we can't get coal and iron ore exports out of the country is really holding growth back. So there's a big focus on that. And what becomes important with this infrastructure and PPPs is that it could potentially create a mechanism to bring in more private sector investors as well as development finance institutions. Now, development finance institutions can start playing a bigger role in infrastructure investment in South Africa. You know, the interest rate at which they can lend money is like 3% 
and it's like 30-year loans plus. So that is a very important dynamic and it can also alleviate pressure on the domestic market because at the moment it's basically banks and fund managers that has to finance the government. And then the fourth aspect that we're looking at is the GFACRA. So that is the Gold and Foreign Exchange Contingency Reserve Account. Now, it's unlikely that there may be an announcement, but this is the unrealized foreign exchange profits. And there has been talk that government can perhaps access some of this, you know, that can be channeled towards reducing debt. But that's an ongoing discussion between the Minister of Finance and the Governor of the Reserve Bank. So these are the issues that we will be watching. Tisha, of those, the one that I imagine would be of most concern and maybe the one that is most difficult to control, given that we are in an election year budget, is the issue of expenditure and overruns. The messaging is going to have to be very convincing to a number of different competing constituencies. That is so true, um, Jeremy. You know, over the past month, we've already seen election promises, you know, being handed out. But the point here is, is that we don't have the fiscal space. So we have seen during the, the past decades, you know, many low income countries tend to increase spending ahead of elections. Now, in South Africa's case, the ANC has been the majority government since 1994. And the budget has had a very strong redistributive slant in terms of the social wage has been increasing. And over the past few years, we have seen the social relief of distress grants being implemented. There is free education and the SRD now has been extended for the fourth year until the end of this year. So I think from that perspective, we don't really expect that kind of announcement to come through. Yes, there will be the promises, but it's very unlikely that we're going to see it in the numbers. And we really have no idea as to where the money is going to come from. Well, as I said, the budget deficit is there. And I think that's one of the big concerns because, you know, the budget deficit is rising. Our debt to GDP ratio is likely to hit 80%, right? And the government is committed to fiscal sustainability. So I think that provides some comfort. And we have strong leadership in the form of the Minister of Finance and a strong team at National Treasury. But the political will, of course, is a dynamic that's playing out. So, Tersha, let's look back at some of the other issues that you'll be looking at. And you spoke about this thing called the fiscal anchor. What would that be? And are there options in that respect? There's a variety of options. The first one, for example, is the budget deficit as a percentage of GDP. And a rule of thumb is that it should not exceed 3% of GDP. The second one is there's debt payment as a percentage of revenue. And then the third one, the debt to GDP ratio. So depending on how this will be delivered, it's a very important input for fiscal credibility. We have seen in South Africa over the past few years that whenever the minister delivers a February or an October budget, some of the big decisions are always rolled over into the next budget. So there's a lot of uncertainty with regard to the forecast. And at the margin, the outcome is deteriorating in the context of weak growth. And always there's new pressure points for expenditure and revenue is undershooting. So if we can get this kind of a fiscal anchor that government can adhere to and operating within that framework, I think that will definitely make an important contribution to credibility and perhaps feed into a lower sovereign risk premium. 
And that fiscal anchor also leads into the other issue that you raised about the importance of public-private partnerships. They would be looking for some sort of stability and reassurance to that effect, wouldn't they? I think so. You know, because what we've seen is that government can no longer, you know, it doesn't have the finances, the competence for a lot of their infrastructure investment. So the role of the private sector will definitely be growing. So, Tosha, thank you very much indeed. As we come to the end of this conversation, uh, also time for a quick focus on taxes, always a focal point, obviously, when the minister delivers his speech. Now, we know the taxpayers are under strain. So what does the budget mean for them and what can we expect in that respect? Tax and fiduciary specialist Pierre Borta is the man to unpack this for us. And he's up next on No Ordinary Wednesday. So, Pierre, a very warm welcome, and let's start with the easy one, if we can, then. Are you expecting any increase in taxes, particularly around uh, VAT, income tax, or corporate tax? Increases in taxes are always, always difficult, and I think especially so in an, an, in an election year. I can't see government increasing the VAT rate or the corporate income tax rate, which was recently reduced. What we may expect to see is a slight tax bracket creep, which would put some individual taxpayers in the next bracket, or it would result in a bit more revenue being received by the um, revenue service. You're absolutely right, because in an election year, government has got to tow a very, very careful line here because uh, so much of this is an unpopular subject, isn't it? And especially with, with taxpayers already struggling with inflation, with the higher interest rate, with the increased food and the um, fuel prices, I, I can't see much more being done to collect taxes from individuals. So if we have none or very little wiggle room in that respect, then I'm assuming the only way in which to increase income uh, is to become more efficient in terms of revenue collection, something that SARS is reasonably good at. 100%. And I think the big focus for SARS is to to increase the efficiency with which they collect revenue. And ways of doing that would be through the digitization and the modernization of the tax system. One of the areas which has fallen behind in recent years and which SARS is very aware of is the VAT collection system, which they're not using e-filing, for example. There are also other ways in which SARS could aim to improve these efficiencies. Some of them through increased debt collection, a focus to curb illicit trade. Um, They could also focus on promoting voluntary disclosure for taxpayers that have made mistakes in the past and want to voluntarily correct it. There has, of course, been a shift in focus, though, by SARS to high net worth individuals. Around 2021, SARS indicated that it it will be setting up this high net high wealth unit where it will focus on taxpayers with an with um, asset base of 50 million or more, where, where those taxpayers actually have to disclose their assets and liabilities to SARS. And, and we've also seen a, an increase in lifestyle audits, which is also resulting in a lot of extra taxes for SARS. So I think an, an additional measure which, which was recently introduced, and it's also as a result of the grey listing, is, is an additional focus on trusts which is typically a vehicle which which high net taxpayers use to accumulate wealth in a tax-efficient manner. So there has been ways in the past that you could use trusts to avoid taxes, and those days are unfortunately gone because SARS is completely on the the map now. And slightly allied to that, of course, is exchange controls. Would there be any change, any movement, any relaxation in that respect, do you think? 
So there has been, over the past couple of years, there's been some relaxations in exchange controls which were very beneficial for residents. It's a very difficult area to deal with because you, you need to monitor the outflow of money carefully. One such an example was the um, recent relaxation to the loop structures which were, which were brought in in 2021. For a lot of people abused that structure through schemes and the um, Reserve Bank had to actually go back and relook at it. So we're hoping that we may see some clarity on what the, the SOB's view is on loop structures going forward. But yeah, that's, that's always a welcome relaxation. And just a final question to you. You spoke a little earlier about the immense pressure that all taxpayers are feeling right now. Do you think anything might ease up a bit in the next 12 months? Uh, Jeremy, I don't think so. Unfortunately, with the pressure of, of the added revenue collections, um, I think it's, it's going to be a bit tougher for taxpayers and, and not easier. I think we may also see a bit of an increase in the fuel levy, which has held the same for the past couple of years. So ultimately, I don't think there's going to be much breathing room on that front. I would rather have that warning sounded clearly at the beginning of the year uh, than for us to be surprised in any way. Pierre, thank you very much indeed. Also to Annabel and Tersha, to all of you, thanks for joining us on No Ordinary Wednesday. Just to remind you again, a new episode of the podcast drops every fortnight. To ensure that you don't miss a program, follow Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the channel, please take a moment to rate us. Until next time. Goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs, and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.